Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our Ready, Set series, and we're going to do that by looking at the Lord's Prayer. And some of you are probably thinking, Charles, we did that last week. Well, look, there's a lot in there. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, even though that is the Lord's Prayer. I'm talking about the other Lord's Prayer. What's the other Lord's Prayer? Let me explain it like this. There are lots of people that actually look at that prayer that we looked at last week, Our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. And they would say that that's misnamed. That really isn't the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray that prayer, but that's not really Jesus' prayer. And the one kind of giveaway in that is, in the middle of the prayer, Jesus says, now pray, forgive us our sins. Well, Jesus didn't have to pray for the forgiveness of sins. So how in the world can that be Jesus' prayer? Well, it's not wrong to call it the Lord's Prayer. But those who would say, Matthew 6 really isn't the Lord's Prayer, that's the disciples' prayer, they would point to John 17, and they would say, John 17 gives us the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer that Jesus prays, and that is the prayer that is centered in him and actually talks about his mission and what he comes to do for us. Now, we're going to look at John 17 today. We're going, to kind of, we're going to read the whole chapter and just tease out a couple of things. Let me tell you a few things about the prayer before I read it. First of all, there is lots and lots of stuff in here, and we're not able to talk about most of it. In fact, let me prove my point. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher from the last century, he preached on John 17, 48 sermons on John 17. Jim Boyce used to be at 10 Press down in Philly. He preached 16 sermons on John 17. Thomas Manton, an old Puritan, he preached over 50 sermons on John 17. I'm preaching one sermon on John 17. So obviously, I'm not able to tease out all the details. In fact, a lot of what they talk about, I'm not even sure what it means. But anyway, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer from John 17. Let me give you a little outline of how Jesus prays. Actually, Jesus follows kind of a three-point outline. And if you read uh, you know, in your Bible or online on your phone, you'll notice that there are italicized words that separate the prayer. Those italicized words don't actually appear in the original, but the editors there are helping us understand what Jesus prays for. Well, there are three sections to this prayer. So let me tell you what they are. The first five verses of John 17, Jesus prays for himself. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, there are sometimes people uh, feel guilty and they'll say, Charles, I feel bad. I come and I pray for things about myself. It's not wrong to pray for yourself. Jesus begins his prayer in John 17. He prays for himself. Now, he probably prays for things for himself that you don't pray for yourself, but he prays for himself in the first five verses. Then he shifts gears beginning in verse 6. And just like Dave talked about these concentric circles expanding, it's almost as if John 17 has these concentric circles. Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for his first disciples. So he's praying for his first group of disciples. And that goes all the way through verse 19. And then, maybe the most incredible thing, beginning in verse 20, Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays in his prayer for those who will believe through the message of those first disciples. And so think of all of those concentric circles. Jesus begins the mission, that first group of disciples, he prays for them. Then he prays for those that who will believe for, through them and believe through them. And we're one of those concentric rings. 
Jesus prays for us in John 17. I'm not sure if you uh, understand the difference, but there's a really big difference between hearing something and overhearing something. Isn't that right? When you hear something and people know you're listening, maybe they're talking to you or talking to somebody, but they see you right there. If you're in their presence and they know you're listening, you're not getting the real dirt, right? If they know you're, yeah, they'll spin a little bit. They won't say what they really think. They're going to kind of make you look better. They're not going to say anything critical. But when you overhear something, you get the real dirt then. If the people talking don't know you're listening, they don't know you're nearby, oh, then you get the real story. John 17, we overhear Jesus praying. In John 16, he's talking to his disciples. Beginning in John 17, he shifts gears. He no longer is talking to his disciples in John 17. Now he's talking to his father. And the disciples get to overhear what he prays. He prays for himself for those first group of disciples, and then he prays for us, all those who will believe through them. Oh yeah, and one last little piece of the context. Jesus prays this prayer the last night of his earthly life. Soon after he prays this prayer, he will go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he will pray another prayer, essentially saying, Lord, if there's any way for this plan and this mission to be accomplished without my having to die, let's do that. But Lord, not my will. Your will be done. So Jesus prays John 17, and he prays in the garden a little later, knowing that he will be executed the next day. So you follow along or you just listen as you and I get to overhear what Jesus prayed the last night of his earthly life. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
I have given them your word, and the word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Lord's Prayer, the night before he died. What does Jesus pray for, kind of real broadly in the prayer? What is the prayer basically about? Well, the prayer is all about Jesus' mission and our mission. The word sent keeps showing up in the prayer. Well, there are two themes that repeatedly show up that are the two components of that mission. The one theme is unity. Did you pick that up? Lord, you and I are one. I want them to be one. And so the original disciples are kind of one with us. And when they share the word, when people believe, then we're one in them and you're in me and I'm in them and we're together and we have unity and community. That's the one big theme. This theme is all about unity. It's all about community. It's all about being connected. Jesus says, as they have been connected to me and I'm connected to them, all those who believe will be connected to each other and connected to me and connected to you, Father. This is a mission of connection. But then it's a mission of something else too. Do you notice the word sanctify keeps kind of showing up? That's kind of a weird word. My guess is you don't use the word sanctify a lot. Or you didn't use it this past week a lot. Now the word sanctify, we often use that term to mean we're getting better and better. We're becoming more and more moral. We're getting our acts cleaned up. You know, we were a mess. We're getting better and better. Eh, that's not the real meaning. The real meaning of the word sanctify is committed, dedicated, sold out, set apart. That's kind of the idea. And so the second thing Jesus said, is praying for is, Lord, I, com I am committed to them. I'm dedicated to them. And as they are dedicated to us, they need to live out that dedication, that commitment to other people so that they too can be impacted. So the mission that Jesus prays for in this prayer is twofold. It's a mission of connection and a mission of connection and impact, a mission of setting people apart. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the mission. Um, first of all, what does mission mean? Some of you are looking at this night, Charles, you read that whole chapter and the word mission didn't show up. Oh, yes, it did. 
The word mission is actually the Latin word for sent. And so this, is, this prayer is all about mission. Jesus says, as you sent me, Lord, I'm sending them. Understand, mission's all about being sent. Now, when I say the word mission, and since we're in a church, many of you immediately think of missionaries. And we support here at Calvary Church over 40 missionaries. Well, how does, how does a missionary kind of function? Here's how it works. Missionaries are born and raised, comfortable and conversant in one particular culture. And they grow up and, you know, things are kind of familiar and life's going well. But usually on the inside, they begin to feel this tug. They begin to feel a prompting. They begin to sense God wants them to go to another culture, to another place to bring connection and impact, right? Just like, the, just like Jesus prays. And as they begin to experience that, they then talk to some people and eventually maybe they talk to some people in leadership at a church and a group of churches or a church actually then sends them and so missionaries go to another culture. And when they get to that other culture, it's strange, right? I'm not sure if you realize this. There's a lot of work in going about being a missionary. After all, you're familiar and comfortable conversing in one culture. You go to a completely different culture. Everything's strange. The language is different. The customs are different. Everything seems weird. And so what missionaries have to do, they may know the message that they're there to, to, to share. They may know something about the gospel they're bringing but they're in a foreign place with weird language and strange cultures. And so they have to become students of that new culture. And so they learn the language, they go to language school, they learn the customs. So they're not gonna be strange when they begin to live out and share, live and share the message, the gospel. That's how it works. Let me uh, tell you about one uh, family that is living out that message of sentness right now. The young man actually grew up at Calvary Church, born, raised, kind of was grown up here, got married, had five kids, and all of a sudden, the family began to sense that God was calling them, influencing them, sending them to go somewhere else. And the somewhere else was a very limited access country. That means it's kind of illegal to do uh, you know, church stuff there, a limited access country. But they went anyway. And they spend time in, time in language school and learning customs. And since it's kind of illegal to do lots of Christian things, this, this young man, he's a, he's a level one CrossFit trainer. So he thought, hey, I got an idea. Um, people here are interested in physical fitness. How about if we open up a CrossFit gym? But the purpose of our gym is going to be twofold. Rather than just help people become physically fit, once we build relationships, once we connect with people and begin to impact their physical lives, maybe we can begin to connect with them and have an impact on their spiritual health. And they're actually doing that now in this limited access country. They're seeking to open a CrossFit gym where they can have connection and impact with people in the limited access country. That's what mission is. That's kind of how it works. It's always about connection. It's always about impact. And that's kind of what Jesus prays. That family from Calvary Church is in some ways an answer to this prayer. But you don't have to go overseas. You don't have to cross an ocean. You don't have to go too far from where you live. The same is true. We have the responsibility to connect and impact other people. We'll get to that toward the end of the prayer, but that's not just something missionaries do. We're all to do that. We are all missionaries in that sense. 
Well, I know I raised that whole topic of missionary, you know, and some of you are sitting there thinking, but isn't that narrow-minded and bigoted? Boy, that sounds awful arrogant. You're going to go to another place in the country. You're going to go across the street. You're going to go into your office. You're going to go to your school, and you're going to live as a, wait a minute, I got a message you need to understand. I'm going to build a relationship with you, and I'm going to live. That's not narrow-minded and bigoted at all. Let me uh, shift the illustration to show you. Think of uh, one of the many diseases people used to um, contract but is now cured by medicine, therapy, whatever. I actually Googled that this week. I got a long list of, it used to be terminal diseases, but are now somewhat, maybe not easily, but they're cured these days. Long list of them. I was sitting at my desk reading, I was getting most of the ailments as I'm sitting there reading. Um, lots of, well, suppose, suppose you have a friend, a loved one, somebody you care an awful lot about. Suppose they have one of these diseases. They've got it. Well, maybe in your past you had it, but you got vaccinated, you, you took the medicine, even though the pills were giant, but you took them, you got the needles, you went through the therapy, and you're well. Is it narrow-minded and bigoted for you to seek to persuade that person to take the medicine? Is it arrogant for you to say, you know what, if you go to the doctor and get a diagnosis, there is a cure for this thing. And if you go and submit to the treatment, you can be well. This disease doesn't have to be terminal. You can be healthy again. Is that narrow-minded and bigoted? No, to do anything other than that has to be sinful. That's the message. That's the, that, that's the ethos and the point of what John 17 is about and what Jesus calls us to. So understanding mission, that's what it's about. And as long as you're talking about the hard work of going to another culture, learning language, customs, all of that, you know, humanly speaking, couldn't we say that that's exactly what Jesus did for the first 30 years of his life? Jesus doesn't go public for like 30 years. What does he do? He's raised in a Jewish family. He learns carpentry. He learns Jewish customs. He cuts his teeth on all of those culture mores and values. And so when he begins to explain and live out the message, he does it in ways that people understand using language and category that they kind of connect with. Jesus goes to 30 years of training before he goes public to connect and impact the people of his culture. Well, as long as we're talking about what Jesus does, let's uh, think a little bit about his mission. If mission in general is about connect and impact, how do we understand Jesus' mission? Well, just like we described, we could say, just like Jesus prays, in eternity past, Jesus lived in an environment, a context, and a culture in which he was comfortable. It was very familiar. Everything was, it was exactly the way he wanted he says in the beginning of the prayer, Father, I'm returning to the glory. I'm returning to you the way it was before the creation of the world. Jesus was comfortable. Jesus knew everything was familiar. But he left that environment. He left that context. He left heaven to come on this mission of reconciliation and redemption. Jesus is a missionary. He comes. And what does he do when he's here? Well, think about some of what he does. He uh, eats with people. He listens to them and their ailments and stories. He uh, feeds them. He tells them stories. He heals them of disease. Jesus spends time with them. What's Jesus doing? He's connecting with the people. God could have just boomed the message from heaven in thunder, right? He could have written, you know, in some kind of a skywriting across the sky. 
But rather than that, Jesus comes, right? God shows up and he shows up to connect with people. But he primarily shows up to take their debt, their sin upon his shoulders and to die for their sin and pay the debt that they could not pay. Jesus connects. But he doesn't connect as an end. Did you ever notice that? In fact, Jesus connects and impacts. It's together. And that's where we're back to that sanctify word again. What does it mean when Jesus says, for them I sanctify myself? that they too may be truly sanctified. Now again, we think of sanctify sometimes as getting better and better and better, kind of on that growth curve, you know, that righteousness curve. But the word doesn't have to mean that. The word means committed, separated, dedicated. So here's, look at that verse and think about the, the gravity of this. Jesus says, for them I committed, dedicated, and sold myself out. So that they in turn can be committed, dedicated and sold out to me and this cause that's bigger than any of us can imagine. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't do first. The mission is all about connection and impact. It's not just connection. It's not just hanging out with people. It's hanging out with people and impacting people. It's seeking to live lives of transformation and communicate lives of transformation. And so Jesus is on a mission of reconciliation and redemption. He comes to connect with people so that we can all be one. And that still is the mission. We need to connect with Jesus and live in harmony with him. Our lives are impacted as we live out that relationship with him. But that's not the end of the story. We continue what Jesus started by connecting with other people and seeking to impact them the way we've been impacted by the gospel, just like the concentric circles in the pond. Well, if Jesus' mission is all about connect and impact, what do you think our mission would be about? Well, our mission is all about connect and impact too. Here's how Jesus says it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. There it is again. The mission is one of connect and impact over and over again. Now, if the word is committed and dedicated and sold out to, um, we don't have many things that we can kind of relate to that. So, so let me help you. Whether or not you realize it, you have lots of sanctified items in your life. If not, they need to be, or it's disgusting. So let me give you a few examples. Remember, think dedicated, committed, sold out to. I sure hope you have a sanctified toothbrush. Like it's your toothbrush. My guess is you don't have one toothbrush for a whole family. Everybody in the family has their own toothbrush. Now, sometimes if the kids are mad at you, they may use it to clean the bathroom, but it's mainly your toothbrush, right? You don't use your toothbrush to brush the dog's teeth. It's your toothbrush, and you separate, and you don't let anybody else use it, and you kind of ticked off if people use it for other purposes. It's your toothbrush. It is a sanctified toothbrush. It's set apart, committed, sold out to you and to your use. Here's another one, your glasses. Now, I know some of you buy cheap glasses for a buck or two at the, at, you know, the drugstore, and everybody can share them because you all have the same eyesight problem. But I'm talking about glasses when you go to a real optometrist and get a prescription. Those glasses are your glasses. And so these glasses are mine. Kim can try to wear them and she can put them on, but she can't see well out of them. I can't see well out of hers. We have sanctified glasses in our house. 
we have sanctified shoes. We can't wear each other's shoes. We have different size feet. We have different shoes. And even if you have the same size feet, you have to wear them for a while. Your feet kind of make the shoe the way you want it to go. And it's your shoe. It's a sanctified shoe. It's a holy shoe. I sure hope you have holy underwear. I don't mean holy underwear. You know, well, maybe you have holy, holy underwear. I don't know. But your underwear, it's your underwear, right? You don't share underwear in the family. See, we have holy things to us. Our underwear, our shoes, our glasses, our toothbrush, maybe your coffee mug, your special and bowl that you eat something. They're sanctified. They're holy to you. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the impact. Jesus came and committed, dedicated himself to us so that we in turn would commit and dedicate ourselves to him. And that is how we continue what Jesus started. So at a 30,000 foot view, as we look at John 17, here's what's going on. Jesus prays for his mission. His earthly mission is about coming to an end. And Jesus says, uh, Father, I got everything started just the way you intended. And I'm going to pray for this first group of disciples here. I'm going to pray that they continue what I started. Connect and impact. But I'm not just going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for everybody who will believe through them so that they too will continue what I started. And how will they do that? By connecting in loving service, building relationships of integrity, and then impacting people by how we live and what we say. All we do is continue what Jesus started. You know, sometimes little kids get it right and we get it wrong. If you were to ask a typical five or six-year-old, if you were to say, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Those little kids would say, I want to be a fireman so I can rescue people from burning buildings and lots of people will be alive because of me. What do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up? Little girl says, I want to be a doctor and I want to discover the cure for cancer so nobody has to deal with cancer. And that's what I want to do. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be president because I love to tweet. Um, and <laughs> Here's my guess. You have never met a five-year-old that would answer the what do you want to be when you grow up question this way. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to stare blankly at a computer screen eight hours a day. I want to shuffle papers from an inbox to the outbox. That's what I want. I want to get home from work and watch YouTube videos and Netflix all night. At the end of my life, I'm going to look back and say, man, nobody wasted time as well as I did. I Little kids never say that. How the heck did we get here? How do we wind up where we are? Little kids have a big mission in view. Sometimes we lose sight of a big mission. We wind up settling to just settle. I read a study this past week by a professor from, the, from Cornell University. He runs the Institute on Aging, sorry. That's, he runs the Institute on Aging. And he composed the study. And he gave it to a large group of octogenarians. Those that have lived at least nine 
decades. Some of you may be here, most not. The survey only had one question, and here was the question. What is your biggest regret in life? Who wants to take a survey like that, right? Can't we have a happy stuff? What's your biggest regret? So he tabulated and collated the results. I want to read to you the results. By far, the number one response to your biggest regret. I wish I hadn't played it so safe. I wish I had risked more. I wish I hadn't worried so much about the unknowns and things I couldn't control. I wish I lived for something bigger than I did. I'm not sure how you would answer the survey today. I sure hope by the time we're ready to check out, whenever that is, I sure hope we don't share that regret. We didn't risk anything. We kind of settled for the routine. Fear caused us to stay where we are. We didn't attempt anything, didn't take any big risk. Jesus gives us a mission bigger than we can ever imagine. I want you guys at Calvary Church to continue what I started. And the two big themes of that, connect with me and watch how I impact your life. And all I'm asking you to do is go and connect with other people, build relationships with them, love them, forgive them, care for them, wherever you happen to run across them. And as you do, impact their lives too. I don't know what you'll say on the survey, and I don't know what your regrets are. I do know this. If you and I commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to continuing what Jesus started, connecting with people and impacting them, a million years from this morning, you will never regret doing that forever and ever. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, it's pretty uh, awesome and humbling to uh, read your prayer this morning and to realize that you uh, continue to pray for us even today. You make intercession for us. And it's a good bet that you're praying the same themes today. Father, help them continue what I started. Help them to connect with people in loving, serving relationships and help them to be impacted by the gospel and impact other people with the gospel. That's what I'm praying, Father. The prayer stayed the same. Lord, I ask that you help us uh, this week and in the upcoming years here at Calvary Church to become the answers to Jesus' prayer in John 17 by dedicating ourselves to continuing what he started by loving, impacting, and connecting with people around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.